Bibles, Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 23. We're uh, not going to put it on the board. Just find it. When you have it, say amen. Tell your neighbor, good to see you today. And then have your seats if you can. Amen. We have a whole lot going on this week. They forgot to mention at the barbecue the Dominators won almost every contest. But that's, that's only a shadow or a minute importance of what went on this, this past weekend and what's going on right now in Victory Outreach all over the world, but right now especially here locally in Hayward. Can I get an amen? We've been hitting on that there's more of us out there. And somebody, I think it was Carrie that said, or it might have been Debbie, that we're not supposed to be just getting comfortable here in the church. You see? We can get comfortable, and then we don't want nobody that's out there to come in and mess up our atmosphere. Do you see what I'm saying? You see, we get air fresheners in here, and we get a nice, clean church house going on and we don't want nobody that's funky to come in here and mess up our atmosphere well we're getting a little too comfortable pastor will and dana kicked off a little bit trying to shake us up but i'm going to tell you what we need tell your neighbor it's called faith faith is the opposite of fear and i think that some of us have gotten afraid okay you don't want to hear that well then i'll just say some of us have a lack of faith same thing Amen. We are called to be warriors, we heard today. We heard that in the songs that there's greater things than these to come. Victory Outreach has been around for about 50 years this year. Can we get an amen? Give God a hand clap. Give God a hand clap. Victory Outreach just started off to have a church for dope fiends to go to. That was it. Teen Challenge had a place for dolphins to go get clean, but they didn't have a church. But Victory Outreach started off so that us as dolphins can have a church. But God kept expanding that vision. At that time, 50 years ago, to have a church for drug addicts was impossible. It was unheard of. A matter of fact, it was unheard of for a drug addict to get clean. At the time, it was said that once an addict, always an addict. It was impossible. In the 60s, John F. Kennedy, he set a vision before America. He went before America, and it's a very famous uh, news broadcast there in Texas. And he said that we choose to go to the moon this decade. This was in 1962. And do other things, not because it's easy but because it's hard. He said, because that, that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept and one that we're unwilling to postpone. And one we wish to intend to win. Within that decade, the 60s, NASA sent and succeeded in sending a spaceship that orbited and, and sent a lunar landing lander to the surface of the moon. For the first time, man set foot 
on a celestial body other than the earth. Now, nearly 50 years later, tell your neighbor 50 years later. We're planning on, NASA's planning on sending a craft to Mars within the next few years. Now, this is going to be a huge undertaking without a doubt. The orbits of Earth and Mars are in a manner that it would take two years for it to be close enough for e even for us to get there. And then that trip would take eight months to get from here to there. And then they'd have to wait two years before they come back, before it orbited back into the position to come back. And then it'll take eight months to return back. So if you're counting, that's a three-and-a-half-year journey. That's a long time. Not only will it take long, but it's going to be very dangerous. And it's going to be very complicated. The mission won't be easy. But of course, they're not going to do this tomorrow. First, NASA plans to send uh, an experiment sending a manned colony to the moon first, where there's people living on the moon. They're going to do that. Then they'll also be working on creating a faster method of travel because right now it will take eight months. And then they'll send these unmanned ships to Mars. They're going to try out these things first. But the key thing is this. NASA has a mission. And they know what they're going to do. And they'll do whatever it is necessary to attain that goal. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be dangerous, but they won't, they won't waver in their determination to reach their set objective. Say that's a task. They're not going to stop until that task has been accomplished. And that brings us to the story today. If you have your Bibles there. But first, I want anybody that knows our mission statement to stand and quote it, please. Our mission statement. Stand and quote it. Men's own, come on, you should be on your feet. Hallelujah. It starts off like this. Church Victory Outreach is an international-oriented Christian ministry called to the task of evangelizing and discipling the hurting people of the world with a message of hope, plan of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you heard in there, but there's the word task a couple times. And that's our mission, just like NASA has a mission. There's going to be hardships involved. Can I get an amen? It's going to have a price that needs to be paid. Can I get an amen? And just like NASA, they started off small with just a ship going to the moon. Well, we started with a church in East L.A., but we have a bigger plan today. We have a bigger mission today. Can I get an amen? Now, do you have your text for the day? Luke 5, verses 17 to 23, please. Say amen when you have it. We have Roy Della Garza coming this week. If you've never been able to be in a Roy Della Garza sermon or church service or whatever, don't miss out. Are you awake? Are you awake? 
Do you know anybody that needs Jesus Christ in your life today? Do you know anybody that needs help today? Do you know anybody that's sick today? Somebody that's crippled today? Do you know somebody that's battling with drug addiction today? Pornography, anger. Do you know anybody that's lost and bound today? Can you raise your hand and tell me amen? Come on, man. Do you have a relative that needs Jesus Christ? Do you have a neighbor that needs Jesus Christ? Do you have a co-worker that needs Jesus Christ? How about the store attendant? How about the person on the corner of the street, man? Do you know somebody that needs Jesus Christ? Well, we got to get them here. We got to get them here Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Are you with me? And this story here is similar. It reads like this. Do you have it? Can everybody stand? I'm under strict orders to um, say, hi, Texas. Hi, Debbie. I love you. You're a godsend. I didn't go after you because you were the finest girl in Union City, but I went after you because you were a gift from God. Amen? I'm also very honored to be a part of this church. I love this church so much. I don't count it lightly. I used to sit in those pews and look at my heroes up here. And now that I get to be up here, it's only by the grace of God. It ain't by nothing I did, but it's by letting all my mediocre ways sit aside so God can live through me. I thank you guys, and I love everybody here. Amen? Are you ready for the text? It reads like this. One day, say one day, as he was teaching, what was he doing? Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in the middle of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you to get up and take your mat and go home. Father, we ask that you bless this word. Open our hearts and minds, Lord. Speak to us, steer us up, shake us up, move us, Father. Convict us and inspire us. In your son Jesus' precious name, and we all say, Amen. now take your seat, please. One more verse I want you to look at, and that's Luke 14, verse 23. That's just a few chapters over. Pastor Stevan had a meeting with us uh, the other night, and he used this word here. And you'll see it right here, chapter 14 of Luke, verse 23. Say amen when you have it. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. 
The original text will say compel. Say compel. So that my house will be full. Hallelujah. You see, we're looking at the first text about four men. There was four men who were on a mission. Four men had a task. Their friend was paralyzed. And these men were convinced. They were confident that Jesus can heal him. Say confident. Now, you know what confident is. It's two words. You know what con means? No, not prison. But some of you uh, Hispanic descendants, whatever, used to write your girlfriend's name on the, on the tree, on the wall, and then you would put your name. And you'd put Flaca Conchata or Chato or Paco or whatever. But that word con is a Latin word that means with. And now, the, well, how do you say faith in Spanish? So con fe, confidence, that means with faith. And so these men had confidence that Jesus Christ can save their friend. Are you with me? You see, they had a mission. They had a task, and their task was to get their friend to Jesus because they were confident if they can get their paralytic friend in the presence of Jesus that he can get healed. Now, this is the first year that Jesus began his ministry. Ever since the sermon on the mount, he had been out preaching and he's been out teaching. And it seems like every time people knew that he was going to be in a certain area, crowds came. He got surrounded. He got bombarded. They literally mobbed him. Now, Jesus has come to Capernaum. I said it right. Capernaum. And again, he's surrounded by crowds. In fact, he's inside of a home teaching and that house is packed to the brim with people. Then there's this paralytic man. As you see in the story, you can sense that these men had a sense of desperation. Say desperation. An urgency in their actions. Have you ever been desperate for somebody else? Have you ever seen somebody that had a need in their life and you became desperate for them? These men, you could sense, have a, had a, a sense of urgency in their actions. They had a sense of desperation in their actions. Some of us wished we were cowboys because there was desperados. It means you'll do crazy things, man, to get your task accomplished. Are you with me? Well, there's a desperado in each one of us. Can I get an amen? But you've got to stir it up. But you're not going to get desperate if you think it's going to fail. But if you have confidence, you'll get desperate. You read the story, you almost can sense that they had this desperation. They had to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. They didn't want to wait. They didn't want to be put off. Because they were afraid if they waited, they might have missed him. I think maybe this paralytic individual might have missed Jesus prior to this Capernaum house invasion. Are you with me? Maybe one day he might have tried to get to Jesus. Maybe the friends had tried to help him before get to Jesus. I don't think this was their first attempt. I can't back this up, but they were desperate, and they didn't want to miss Jesus. If you've ever missed him, you don't want to miss him again on your next chance. Maybe they went to where he was, and he had just gone on a boat and went across the sea. 
But now they hear that he's in Capernaum and Capernaum, and they don't want to miss it. So they all grab this paralytic, and they carry him. I sense his urgency to you. They don't want to miss him again. Now Jesus is back in the area, and this man and his friends know where he's at, and so they rush to the place to find Jesus. They rush to find Jesus. They've got to see Jesus. They can't risk Jesus getting away. They can't risk not getting their friend in the presence of Jesus. They have to get him there. Their friend has had a chance to be touched by Jesus, and he's got a chance to get healed, but they got to get him there. And here they finally caught up with Jesus. They finally get there. Their plan was to get him to this house in Capernaum where Jesus is. But they get him to this house, and now they can't get him in the house. They can't even get him probably to the window. And knowing desperado individuals, they probably sent somebody, go look and see where he's at. So a guy probably looks, he goes, okay, he's in the center of the house right here. But man, there's a crowd of people there. And there's Pharisees there. And there's teachers of laws. But these men were so desperate, say desperate. And they couldn't get in because of the crowd. They can't even get close to the window because of the because of the crowd. So they go off on the side. Some of you were desperados, am I wrong? What happens when you don't get your thing? You go home, you call it quits. That's not desperation. Desperation don't have quit in it. Desperation sees obstacles, but don't stop. Desperation knows that it might cost a price, but so what, man? If I have to risk my life to get the task that's before me accomplished, so be it. So what that there's people there that might get mad at us? So what if we get spat on or cussed at? So they go off on the side and they go, look, man, we got to get this guy there. Another guy probably said, we got to hurry up because my wife's at home. Just kidding. She probably was there too. That's the kind of ladies we got, amen? Those ladies were up in that, that, that Centennial Hall. They were up there, man. They were bringing ladies down to them. There's like 15 girls up there. Am I wrong? There's like 15 girls. One of them knew you, Sister Rev. Huh? They knew her. Amen. So anyway, they go off a side. They can't get in. They have to get in, but they can't get in. But what do they do? They start plotting. They start planning. They go, man, well, how are we going to do this? There's people everywhere. And then somebody looks up there and goes, look, there's nobody on the roof. And somebody says, well, we get them up there. How are we going to get them down? He goes, man, come on, man. What's that word called that when you say something obviously? He's pontificating. He's giving an opinion that can drive you nuts. State in the obvious. Yeah, we know that. We're going to have to cut a hole. And those buildings at that time, they would have a hole in their roof already. And then they would cover it during the rainy season. So in other words, it was like a skylight. And they would remove it in the summer, cover it in the winter. That tells me this was wintertime because it was covered. And so they go, we could go and, and clear that hole off. And then someone says, but then what? We can't just drop the body. 
He says, well, then we're going to have to get ropes or make ropes. Are you with me? They ain't going to stop. They're not going to let any kind of obstacle stop them. Are you with me? So they go and they start digging this hole. They start clearing the way for him to go in. And so what happens is, is they, they, they get the ropes and they start destroying this other person's roof. They start getting ready to disrupt this high-powered Bible study, so to speak. They don't mind about interrupting the Pharisees or teachers of the law. All they know is we care about our paralytic friend. They don't care about ruining the property of somebody else. Don't go saying I gave you permission for that. They don't care if they interrupt this meeting. They don't care who's in there with Jesus. All they care is, is that they have a friend who's sick. Do you have a family member that needs Jesus? Do you have a relative that needs Jesus? Do you have a friend that needs Jesus? Do you have a co-worker, a neighbor that needs Jesus? Well, all they knew was their friend needed Jesus, and they weren't going to let nothing stop them. They were on a mission, and they won't waver their determination to reach their objective. Why? Because their friend needed Jesus. So they climbed to the roof, and there they begin to tear away the, 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 the skylight, so to speak, the branches and the tiles and the reeds from the roof and they can start seeing the crowd underneath them. They could see the crowd sitting there. It looks like the crowd ain't going to move until branches starts falling on them. Until tile debris starts falling on them because the crowd don't like to get dirty. The crowd don't like to get dirty. Here the crowd is sitting there with Jesus. And so they begin to move because they don't want their hair to get dirty. They don't want their clothes to get dirty. They don't want their hands to get dirty. And then all of a sudden right in front of Jesus there's an empty space. They have a spot to bring Jesus to because a crowd moved. Because it brought this man that needs Jesus right in front of him. Amen. The room gets quiet. The crowd gets quiet. Sunlight starts shining through the hole that they just cleared off. The, the, from down there, you could see the sun shining and particles, the dust flying in the air right there. The room begins to be filled with haze. Then all of a sudden, the light gets blocked because they're brought the body of their friend on the bed and ready to lower him down. And as they start lowering him down into the room, Jesus is standing right there. He's watching quietly as this paralytic man starts getting lowered and lies right down in front of him. Then he looks up and he could see these anxious, expecting faces looking down on him. They're expecting something to happen that day. They're expecting a miracle to happen that day. They're expecting their friend to change that day. And he looks up and he can see their expecting faces. He can see the anxiousness in their faces. And what he sees is their faith. He sees their faith. You see, we've been talking these last few weeks about the task that lies before us. 
that God has for us in Victory Outreach. We've been talking about the mission, and our mission statement says once again, Victory Outreach is an international-oriented Christian ministry called to the task of evangelizing and discipling the hurting people of this world with a message, hope, plan of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You see, this call involves a commitment, a commitment. This call involves loyalty. This call involves dedication. Nothing less, I dare to say, that compares to NASA, that compares to the other great feats that people put. President Kennedy put a vision in front of America in 1962, and they accomplished it. Pastor Sonny has been putting a vision in front of Victory Outreach since 1967, and we're accomplishing it. The first 50 years, man, we have planted ships on the moon, and we've got churches all over the globe, but we ain't done yet. We ain't done yet. Greater things than these are yet to come. Tell your neighbor, greater things than these are yet to come. But it's going to take a commitment from you and you and me. It's going to take loyalty. It's going to take faith. God prepares us and he equips us to do mighty things in his name. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. At one point in his ministry, Jesus tells his disciples, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have done, been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That's John 14. God has a grand adventure for us. As you've seen in that video, the adventure. He's preparing us to do mighty things. But what is this grand adventure? What is this mighty thing that God is preparing you and me to do? What is this thing that's going to be greater than what he has done? There's no mightier and greater thing than you can do that is valued by God than the act of bringing somebody to the feet of Jesus. Like these four men did for their friend. Jesus said, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. On the, the message Bible puts it like this. The angels throw a party every time one lost soul turns to God. You know what that means? They're up there dancing like Tina and Vince. I like that. There's a party going on in heaven. Every time somebody gets brought to the feet of Jesus, they're throwing a party in heaven every time somebody is baptized into Jesus Christ. So knowing that, can you imagine and in the anticipation that occurs, that occurs, that goes on, can you imagine in heaven every time that you, that I, bring somebody to Jesus Christ or when you bring somebody to your life group or when you start witnessing to your neighbor or when you're at that 
store and somehow you find a way, man, to bring Jesus Christ into the conversation. When you see that guy that is all stinky and funky and busted from the floor up, but you go ahead, man, you don't care if you get a little dirty. You don't care if you get a little funky and you give him some love. Somebody up here said the word love, man. You don't go hand him a flyer and tell him you need Jesus, you funky, low-down, dirty scoundrel. No, man. What he needs is a love of Jesus Christ. What he needs is a hug. What he needs is for you to spend some time with him, to go buy him lunch or something. Somebody did a study way back on all the people in the New Testament that Jesus healed. And that person studied that there was 40 healings. Out of the 40 healings, 34 of those people that got healed by Jesus were either brought by somebody to Jesus or that Jesus was taken to them. And that leaves six other cases out of the 40 that the sufferers found their way to Jesus. That's a that six out of 40 came on their own. The other 34 had to be brought or Jesus had to be taken. Now think about that for a minute. People were brought to Jesus in the Bible to be healed. They weren't invited. Our second verse today was what? Luke 14, verse 23. Talks about a story of people that were invited. They didn't come. And Jesus said, go and compel them. And compel means make. Make. Are you with me? They had to be brought. Think about that for a minute. They had to be brought to Jesus to get healed. They weren't invited. They were brought to Jesus. Are you with me? They were physically taken by the hand and they were brought or led to Jesus. Now here, here we are at our church. We have a whole lot of things going on that we invite people to. We had taco. It sounds like a soccer goal. Taco Dave. We have plays. We have all these things that we invite people too. Are you with me? And those are all good. Those are good outreaches. But most people are not going to show up in our church house that way. The way that our church is going to grow and we don't care about numbers. What we care about is getting our loved ones in front of Jesus so that they can get healed and the only way that we're going to get them here is not by a, a nice invitation pretty please. No. Okay. No. We got a great Grab them by the hand and bring them to Jesus. Most people won't come with an invitation. Huh? Hallelujah. They don't. Why don't they come? How come this place ain't packed? How come sometimes when we do stuff, it's not packed? It's because we're not bringing them, we're inviting them. Ah, we're not being compelling. Ray Comfort, what a trip, his name's Comfort. He said that a church that is waiting for sinners to visit their building is like the police waiting for criminals to visit their jail. <laughs> huh. Is he saying we're dumb? No, I'm not. 
It's not going to happen. They're not just going to come. It ain't going to happen like that. I need to remind you that the four friends were willing to bring their friend to Jesus. Not only did they were willing to carry him the track, but they were willing to destroy a roof of somebody else. They were willing to disrupt a Bible study. In fact, they bars into a meeting of very important people. It said the Pharisees and the teachers of law. Why would they do that? The house was full of people because they had heard about Jesus healing people. The Pharisees and teachers of the law had no problem in accepting that Jesus had the power to heal. Their issue wasn't that Jesus Christ healed the paralytic. Their problem was that he said your sins are forgiven. That was the problem. That's where they started saying blasphemy. Are you with me? Come on, focus up. They had heard that Jesus Christ can heal people. They accepted that Jesus Christ can heal people. Four people. People came from all the surrounding cities there. And Capernaum is right here in the area of Galilee. And they came from all the areas of Galilee to this house. Why? Because they had heard that Jesus Christ is healing people. The word had traveled that Jesus Christ can heal people to the point that these men believed that Jesus Christ can heal people. We have a friend that's a paralytic man. We're not going to just sit aside and let him remain in the condition that he's in. We have heard that Jesus Christ can heal people so we're going to carry him and we're going to get him to the feet of Jesus and then when they get there they can't get in things ain't going the way they planned man there's obstacles but did they stop no my friend they went ahead and started tearing the roof off they started not caring what anybody else thought they don't care because all they cared about was Jesus Christ healing their friend You see, there's going to be obstacles trying to get your friends here. There's going to be obstacles trying to get your family members here. Uh, you're going to think they can't change. You're going to think Jesus Christ can't do it. But here in this story, even the Pharisees and teachers didn't have a problem with that. You see, there's a faith problem. There's a faith problem. Now, hold on, hold on. Why didn't they do it? Uh, they did it because they had faith. They had faith in Jesus. It was their faith that Jesus could make a difference. Faith that changed their friend. Faith that drove them to become overcomers. Hallelujah. Any overcomers here today? They overcame inconvenience. They overcame embarrassment. They overcame fear of failure. They overcame fear of violence. They overcame fear of rejection. They overcame all these things. Why? Because of their faith. Their faith was stronger than their fear. When we think about having our loved ones healed and saved, when we think about bringing our loved ones here to Jesus Christ, we're afraid that they might reject us. We're afraid, man, because we got this Andy Griffin mentality. Some of us... Some of us that have been around a little bit, we know the Mayberry are of the day. They, they were a beautiful city, wasn't it? Gorgeous city. And B cooking. Oh, I wish she was here. That's okay. We have good cooks. And they even had some scenes there 
of church, being in church singing, then not once, not once do they ever mention the name of Jesus Christ. How come? Because in that modern era, everything was perfect and everything had their place and they all had Andy Griffin. Andy Griffin was the answer to everything. Andy Griffin's the one that made the show. Andy Griffin's the one that gave them a sense of security. Andy Griffin was the answer to everything. Anytime they had a problem, Andy Griffin, we look at our family members and we think that they won't come to us. Why? Because drug is their answer. And we don't think that they're going to give that drug up for Jesus Christ. We see them tied to some obstacle or some challenge, man. But you know what? We need to stop being afraid that they can't change. We need to know that they can change. Has God changed anybody here's life today? Can you raise your hand? Somebody, somebody tell me if God, stand up if God delivered you from drugs. Stand up if God delivered you from pornography. Stand up if God delivered you from anger. Stand up if God delivered you from something. Stand up if you've been a recipient of one of God's miracles today. Our faith should be a strong as these four individuals here. They had heard that God was doing miracles. We have seen God do miracles. We've experienced God do miracles. We are recipients of God's miracles. Are you with me? Have your seats. They had heard and so their faith was great enough to be overcomers of all the inconveniences. We have seen. So our faith needs to be stronger than theirs. Why can't we believe that our family member can be saved? Why can't we believe that our neighbor can't be saved? Why can't we believe that that person on the street corner cannot be saved? He saved you and I. Hello? Huh? I mean, Debbie Velarde. known this girl for Jesus Christ. The Dead Sea wasn't even sick. Famous, famous, famous in the world. Famous. Oh my God, famous. Her parties were infamous. I don't know if they ever stopped. Did they ever have a stop? Famous. Okay. Pretty soon, her name's going to be famous in the kingdom of God. Pretty soon, pretty soon they're going to be partying in heaven with a lot of people that Debbie brought to Jesus Christ. There's already a few here today. Are you with me? Why? Because she knows that Jesus Christ saved her. She knows if he can save me, he can save you. If he saved you, how come he can't save him? If he saved you, how come he can't save her? The same Jesus today is the same God that saved you. Are you with me? Amen. Somebody say as usual, Pastor Greg went off his notes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We got a church bus, amen. We own it. It's ours. It's paid off. It's painted. But there's a problem. We can't drive it. We can't go pick nobody up. We can't take nobody to uh, the conference or nothing like that. We have a voltage problem, generator, voltage regulator problem, something 
that is involved with the charging system needs to be replaced so it doesn't run. We can't go drive it or nothing. So we know what it needs. We know what it needs. But we found out that all of our backyard mechanics, none of them can fix it. <laughs> Hallelujah. We have to get a hold of the people that upgraded that vehicle maybe or somebody that's familiar with that system there and to find who they are and take our bus to them. And then it probably would take a few weeks before we can get the repairs done. Now, we can get the men's home to pull it with a rope. And I could sit there driving it. Amen. You know what I mean? We can go out A Street and pretend to be driving it. It'll be a good advertisement. Our church name's on the side. But it won't be able to accomplish the task that it was created and designed to fulfill. Are you with me? We have a bus. Yeah. But we have a problem. Yes. Do we have the money to fix the bus? Yeah. Then why won't it run? Because we don't have the right person that can fix the bus. And until we get that person, the bus is going to stay useless. Hallelujah. Others might think that it does the job when they look at it. Oh, nice bus. But we know that it's useless. In the same way, there's a lot of people out there that are pretending. They're pretending to drive their lives down the road of whatever they think is good and successful for all intents and purposes. It looks like everything is hunky-dory to them. And they're trying to make you think that. But it isn't. These people are broken and damaged. They may have the money and resources and influence that can maybe fix their problem, but guess what? They don't have the person that can fix their problem. You see, there's something missing. Or shall I say there's somebody missing? Huh? They lack the one person who can fix what is wrong in their lives. Hallelujah. You see, we see them faking the funk. We see them marauding. We see them as two-dimensional uh, two cardboard cutouts. You know, like in the cowboy movies, it looks like a real building, but it ain't real. They're acting and pretending like life is perfect, but we know, no, it isn't, that they need Jesus Christ. They don't have Jesus Christ. They need Jesus Christ. But guess what? You have Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ. And you've been given the authority in heaven and below the earth, the same authority to do greater things than Jesus Christ inside of you, my friend. You have the authority. That means you have the permission by God to operate in his power as his representative to go take the gospel to these individuals, man. You're able to heal the sick, man. You're able to bring salvation to those that need salvation. Hallelujah. But part of the problem is that we don't see that there's a problem. We like to ignore it. We like to ignore that our family members need Jesus. Huh? We've gotten comfortable with them being lost and shackled. They're all right. That's the problem. 
When we read this story of these four friends, there's an obvious problem. The guy was paralytic. He couldn't move and he couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. But a lot of our friends are functioning. Some of them even have jobs. Some of them even look like they're good parents. So we think they're okay and we don't see that there's a problem. Are you with me? But you have to understand, man, that that issue is more paralytic than a person that can't move their legs, man. They're afraid. They're stuck. They're lost. They're bound. They can't make a step towards Jesus Christ if they wanted to, man. They cannot come on their own to this altar where they can get baptized by Jesus Christ. They can't move on their own, man. They can't answer the call that's hitting them in their heart because they're afraid. They don't know. There's all kinds of things holding them back. Don't forget where God had called you from. Don't forget that you wanted to change your life, but you couldn't move. You couldn't move. You were bound. You were chained. These people need you and me, man, to go over there and tell them that their sins are forgiven, my friend. We need to let them know that Jesus Christ has forgiven their sins, man, because most of these paralytic individuals spiritually are bound because of the guilt that comes from sin. Are you with me? I hate saying that, but I guess we say it when we don't know what to say. Hallelujah. I'm going to teach you something simple. All right? First of all, let me teach you something else. Compel. Yeah. I didn't know what compel meant, so I looked it up. It means make. It means by force. Then I thought a compelling argument. It's what we're supposed to do, right? Wrong. Okay? Neuroscience has proven that if you start trying to convince somebody or sway somebody with an argument, you lost it right there. Huh? You lost it. Because the mind is geared that as soon as you start telling somebody that they're wrong and that they need this and they need that, they're going to go into a battle mode. It's either fight or flight. Are you with me? Give me a minute, AJ. Are you with me? Huh? So there, you're never going to win them over. And so I started studying on hostage negotiations by the FBI. <laughs> after, after Centennial Hall, man. <laughs> but they're compelling, but they're not obviously fighting or attacking the individual. The first thing is, is to get the individual into a conversation. Open-ended questions and active listening. And what happens there is once the person starts sharing, they listen, and then they repeat it back to them with understanding and without any judgment. And what happens, that's the first two steps. The third step is they win their trust. Now they're able to step in and discuss the situation. Are you with me? Victory Outreach, we already know this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We need to let the city know that we love them. We need to let the city know, man, that we care. We got to sit there and listen to their story without judging them, without putting them down, man. Listen to them and repeat it with compassion to where they know that you care. Now you can start doing what you need to do to get them in front of Jesus. Say with me, come to church with me. Say, will you come to church with me? How about coming to church with me this Sunday? 
You see, there's different emphasis in, in the sentences. Amen. And that took me about seven years in Vethi to learn. Amen. It's easy, right? There's an illustration. A professional basketball team in Oakland. What's the name? They're a great professional basketball team. A lot of people are buying tickets to go watch the games. But I ain't. All right? It's more money than I want to get rid of. <laughs> And I'm really not that intrigued enough to go to Oakland to watch the Warrior game live to pay that much money. But guess what will compel me to go? <laughs> Buy me a ticket and a hot dog, I'll go with you. Huh? You say, hey, Greg, uh, I got a ticket for you and I'll buy you lunch. I'll go, okay? Otherwise, I'm not gonna go. Are you with me? Hello? I don't even like the opera. I don't understand it, and it's not my thing. But guess what? Guess what will compel me to go? You say, hey, I'll take it to an opera and buy you a hot dog afterwards, okay? <laughs> I don't really like hot dogs, all right? But then I'll go. You see, the thing is, is I'd be more likely to go to these events if you personally took me, huh? And if you bribed me. Hello? Church is the same thing. Invite people to come with you, but promise them. Promise them to take them out to eat afterwards. Promise them to mow their lawn or wash the car. I have a brother. He got a custom motorcycle, and I was thinking of how to borrow it. Then it hit me. Get him to church. Forget his bike. Amen? So I thought, well, maybe I'll clean his bike, bring him to church, and then borrow it. Hallelujah. He might let me, might come to church if I cleaned his uh Motorcycle. If you have to, tie them up, put them on a pallet, and carry them to church. Just do whatever you have to do to get them here. Do you agree? Luke 14, 23 says, he said, I compel you. I read about a young salesman that had lost a major sale, a big sale, money he was depending on. He really counted on this contract, but it didn't fall through. He got upset. So he calls a friend of his, of his father, a friend of his father who was a marketing manager and very successful in a large business. And he shared with this friend of his father his frustration. He was looking for guidance or maybe just a shoulder to cry on. In the course of the conversation, the young man shrugged his shoulders. He says, well, I guess you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. The marketing manager smiled at that and he said, son, your job's not to make them drink. It's to make them thirsty. My point is this, you have Jesus. You have what your family and friends need, what your loved ones need. But the only way that they might accept it is if you offer and you're determined to make them thirsty. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Do something with me. Close your eyes. <laughs>